Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoops. Corey Perry. Well, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. We're back with another edition of the For Everybody Post Game Show. This one's not as uh, exciting as the last five. Uh, well, actually, we missed one against Washington, so uh, the last yeah. four. Um, but the Ducks come out in this one, drop the game 4-1 to the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, not a spectacular game to watch. Uh, I didn't even watch all of it, so I can't even <laughs> say. I can fully say that it wasn't, at least what I saw wasn't that spectacular to watch, but uh, a disappointing effort and kind of a, a crappy end to their five-game winning streak. Yeah, but at the same time, a lucky five-game winning streak. And uh, to, to one extent, uh, you know, it's it's kind of... A, what is that? Uh, you know, karma. It's just that the way that they ended up winning against Carolina about a week ago, um, it, it could have almost played out that same way tonight, but didn't quite go that way. Um, and so it's almost like Carolina deserved to win last week, ended up winning this week. But uh, there are a lot of similarities, at least early on in this game. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, kind of a unique one. And it's, it's kind of what you expect when you go against the Hurricanes is you're going to get heavily outshot usually the hurricanes the way they play is they will take shots from pretty much everywhere and uh, we kind of saw that in this one but just to get hit on some pregame notes before we get into our breakdown ricard raquel was out of this game with a tweaked ankle hopefully 
it's not too long. What I guess they're saying is day-to-day, but they're kind of being a little bit vague about it. Some reports said he was in a walking boot. Yeah. And there was uh, Instagram pictures that popped up on, on Hampus Lindholm's Instagram where he wasn't wearing a walking boot and he looked like he was fine. <laughs> so, I mean, I, at this point, we have no idea really how long he's going to be out. I don't think it's going to be too long because I, I think they said he was kind of a game-time decision today as well. So I don't think he's going to be out of the lineup for too long. Yeah, I mean, even though he hasn't necessarily been uh, hitting the numbers he's used to hitting, um, he's a dynamic player, and that's that's someone, if you don't have him in the lineup, it's hard to replace it. So it's uh, someone we hope can get back soon. It's kind of a freak play that ended up having uh, against Chicago where he just kind of yeah. got rolled over on it. So that, that, that can go one of two ways. It can literally be a, a tweak that takes a while, and that's what Carlisle said. He, he tweaked it. And when I hear the word tweak versus, oh, he sprained it, I think it's it's kind of a minor thing where he just doesn't want to overdo it maybe in a game. So I, I'm more optimistic, like you said, the uh, report where it might be day-to-day, game-time decision. So I'm more optimistic he's coming back. Yeah, it, it seems like it's less severe when they use the word tweak. And I guess mm-hmm. that's kind of what we hope for. But because Ricard Raquel was out of the lineup, Daniel Sprong jumps up to the first line with Getzlaff and Pontus Aberg. Andre Kasha gets promoted from the fourth line up to the line with Hen- Henrik and Nick Ritchie. So yeah. the line's looking a little bit more stable. Obviously, losing Ricard Raquel kind of sucks, but when you yeah. can move these guys up the lineup, Daniel Sprong looked good in, in his first game, looked good in this one, and then obviously Andre Kasha getting the goal on the fourth line. He's an easy, an easy fix to move up into the top six. Um, the Ducks obviously coming into this game with a five with five straight wins, while Carolina somehow in their last five games had just scored five goals. So it, it felt like it was primed to be a game that the Ducks could to win. Presumably, mm-hmm. it felt like a winnable game. The next few games feel like winnable games, but uh, when you sit back and you really analyze the Ducks' five-game winning streak, a lot of it was luck, and, and, and you know they had some ridiculous comebacks there where other teams mm-hmm. collapsed and. You know, there is some credit in, in obviously winning five games in a row, but it didn't feel like a normal five-game winning streak. Yeah, exactly. As, as much as I, I love to be the optimist, and I, I usually am, I just haven't seen a Ducks team like this where I, I'm less optimistic when they win. <laughs> they win, and usually I'm like, hey, this is something we can roll on. We can we can beat, you know, uh, go, go to the next game and just kind of build upon this. And it was just like, oh, God. We won. Oh, awesome. All right, let's just hope we don't aren't that bad next game. Oh, we won. Oh, we lucked out two games in our I mean, it just kind of built like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, we came back against Washington, but we were down 5-1. That's not a team that's uh, looking primed to uh, just, you know, make a breakout move here. So, yeah, I mean, the Ducks, though, weren't the only team dealing with injuries going into this one. Uh, the Hurricanes are without two significant players in their lineup. Jordan Stahl and Michael Furlan were both out for this game. So, again, it felt like this was a, an opportunity to take advantage of, of finally another team maybe being in the same boat that the Ducks were in with some injuries. Um, normally, when you sit back and you look at Michael Furland on paper, if you didn't know how he was doing this year, you'd say that's probably not a big loss. But he he's, has 10 goals this year. Uh, he's just... 
anytime he's on the ice, he's one of those guys like Tom Wilson, like Ryan Reeves, where you're you kind of got to know where he is, or he's going to catch you with a with a late hit. And uh, <laughs> he's one of the yeah, he's just one of the guys that you kind of got to know where he is at all times. So it, it's a tough loss for the Hurricanes to not have him in there. But I, I think Jordan Stahl uh, is a really tough one for them to not have, and he's arguably their best center. Uh, he's one of the leaders on that team. And uh, I think with Furland and Stahl out of the lineup, that's kind of why the Hurricanes have only scored five goals in their last five games. Yeah, I mean, you can, uh, like you alluded to earlier, I mean, the, the Caroline Hurricanes, they shoot a ton. And they, they've always been usually in the top three on shots on goal. And yet they're not a team that really kind of gets into the playoffs. Uh, uh, and that can be that, you know, those shot, those high shot totals, don't necessarily translate into goals. If there's no one in front screening a goal, it's significantly harder if there's a big body or, you know, just anything happening in front. So you lose Furlander, that's kind of something he would do. And then you lose Stahl on top of it. That's kind of one of those other things that he does really well is he's just in the way a lot. And uh, so the fact that they're missing both of those is probably uh, a bigger indication why they're struggling all of a sudden to, to get more goals in on net. Yeah, and we'll get into the first period here because uh, I felt like now now I'm gonna sit here and try and explain it the best I can. Like I said, I didn't really I didn't really catch most of the first period, but uh, it, it was kind of a back and forth Ferris from when I went back and I watched it, especially early on. There's a couple solid shifts from Kasha, Henrik, and Richie. Again, any any line that Cash is on, they're generally gonna get a couple solid shifts per game. And that's what we kind of saw early on. They're they're a little bit of an energy line, which is again what you're going to expect from any line that Andre Cash is on. Because I guess a, a solid opening note for the Ducks, a couple noteworthy shifts, nothing really amazing, very few mistakes. Uh, shots were only two to one at the five minute mark, so obviously both teams kind of feeling their way out. Um, but it, it was just kind of a, a mixed bag, I guess, in, in the very first part of the first period. There really wasn't any team who took advantage early. There wasn't a lot of high-danger scoring chances. It was both teams just trying to figure out what what kind of style that they're going to bring to the to the game. Because I think both teams are at different points they, than they were when they last met. Yeah, it's kind of unusual because you, you would think like the Ducks say hey, they're finally home and, hey, we're going to come out and just – storm the castle and let's just build on this. And Carolina has been struggling for goals. Be like, Hey, you know, this, this team kind of stole one from us last time we played, let's kind of get out there and let's, you know, start. I mean, every team wants to start off great. And it's not that either team was bad. It just, it was just even. And it just, you know, there's a lot of more neutral play, the occasional shot, the occasional, Oh, they're holding it for a while, but it was nothing that was, you know, one team was dominating. It was just kind of a little back and forth and not a lot happening in the first five minutes. Yeah, not really. And you put an interesting uh, quote here in the, uh, in, in the notes and how Carolina looks like the ducks used to minus goaltending. And yeah, I, I kind of get that. Cause, um, the Ducks used to be a team that put a lot of shots on net, and they played a very physical brand of hockey, which the, the hurricanes are trying to do. They're maybe not the best team set up for that. They're kind of, uh, as Hayward alluded to, like the misfits of the NHL where they don't spend a ton of money. They're very, fairly young, uh, but they're still finding ways to win games. And, and that kind of reminds me of the Ducks a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, like you said, they, they are really missing <laughs> the goaltending. I mean, they've gone through three goaltenders this year and Scott Darling, Peter Morazic, who started tonight, and Curtis McElhenney. And uh, nobody 
has been able to take the crease from them. And they're one of those teams, and I think Calgary is another one of those teams where the rest of the team is set up pretty well, but the goaltending is the big issue, and they just can't seem to lock down a number one guy. Yeah, they invested, uh, you know, uh, money for sure, and uh, kind of a little bit of their faith in Scott Darling coming in and kind of being that number one guy. They thought, uh, you know, he, he couldn't do much behind Corey Crawford in Chicago and deserved a good chance and a good shot at it. Uh, and I don't blame him for giving that shot, but, uh, you know, he didn't really prove it last year. Uh, one of the worst defensive teams, worst goals against last year. So he came in this year, you know, hey, you know, let's, let's start over. Let's, you know, Let's see where we can go from here. And uh, he, he still hasn't really taken over the crease. They brought in Morazic as a backup. McElhaney has actually been the better of all the goalies, but he's actually injured now. So now Scott Darling's in the minors. Morazic's here. Uh, yeah. McElhaney probably almost was about to take over the crease just out of just sheer dominance of how he's played over the last couple of seasons, but particularly this season. But he's got an injury, so it's almost like Morazic, you know, take it. it it's it's here take everything you can for it so uh yeah Mrazek I like as a goal he's still young and he was kind of behind Howard or kind of 1A 1B type of deal so yeah kind of looking to see what he can do uh for this Carolina team but what I kind of meant by it is just the Carolina in the beginning part of this game looked a lot like the Ducks have looked through most of this season where it's just miss passes they just the, the connection's not quite right and uh unfortunately they don't normally have a goalie that's gonna bail them out they, they're missing that goalie that the ducks have but i saw a lot of miscues early on that carolina was doing that were just eerily similar to how the ducks have been playing for most of this season but the ducks have had a goalie to bail them out yeah the, the thing that's funny with carolina is you you normally get a team and they'll go after one goalie who they was a pretty good backup, and they think can be a starter. Yeah. Uh, with Edmonton going after Cam Talbot, and, and and there's a fair amount of other teams who who made the decision to do that. Carolina has three of them, and yeah. that's a, that's an interesting <laughs> choice. Where you go after Scott Darling, who had an excellent season as a backup in Chicago, and you're hoping that he would be a starter. And then as insurance, you go out and get Peter Mrazek, who a lot of people believe could be a starter. And like you said, he was behind Jimmy Howard, and he was almost a one A one B situation. And then they picked Curtis McElhinney up off waivers, who was the backup behind Freddie Anderson last year and had a phenomenal season with the Leafs. Uh, normally, I mean, you like I said, you see a team go after one of those guys. The Hurricanes are kind of hedging their bets and going after three of them. And the bad thing for them is none of them have really worked out. So it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a tough situation to be in. Yeah, I call it the uh, the Aladdin uh, theory, where I uh, try to find that diamond in the rough and see if uh, one of them you know, polishes off to... Uh, be the one that could rub the lamp and change your fortunes. But uh, at this point, yeah, no one's really kind of taken it or they've taken it sporadically or there's been injuries. And, and so it seems at this point they've given up on Scott Darling if they've put him to the minors and then Malcolm Haney gets hurt and they don't even try and bring him up to back up Mrazek. That's that's saying loads of uh, information to me right there that they've kind of given up on it. But it's an interesting strategy that – in my opinion, it's like uh, I like seeing those those backup goalies that have shown they can play. Give them a shot and see where they go. And it's just, it's hit or miss. And unfortunately, they're 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 like oh two and one. <laughs> I guess is what you can say with McElhaney kind of uh, outperforming what he's normally done. 
Yeah, and that actually gets us to the the first goal of the game for the Ducks, and well, the only goal for the Ducks in this game. But Jakob Silverberg originally has a breakaway of his own, hits the post, <laughs> oh, kind of gloves it down, and and then it bounces all the way back to the point for Dotchin, who just wires a shot that takes a small deflection off Jakob Silverberg. Yeah, it it, <laughs> it's funny because Hayward was saying that uh, he was snake bit, and how uh, right after he hits yeah. the post. And yeah. then Dodson wires a perfect shot that just seems to glance in off Silverberg. So no longer snake bit because he gets a lucky <laughs> bounce off of his foot and into the net, which, I mean, is huge for him, huge for the Ducks, because he needs to get going. He hasn't mm-hmm. got anything going since his hot start to the season. Yeah. Um, and also good for Jake Dodson. To, I, I think that probably was going to go in no matter what. <laughs> yeah. um, it's nice to see him get on the board and get his first point as a Duck, too. Yeah, there was uh, three random things that worked out really well. Uh, I guess four, if you count the post where he, uh, you know, Silverberg didn't make it. But it's one where he could have hit the post and then just kept skating by, but didn't. The puck kind of fluttered up, and he tried to make a play on it and kind of glove it down. Fortunate, uh, you know, A, that he got it with his glove and that he put it down, and it was right to your boy, Dougie Hamilton. Uh, He ends up getting that puck. And here's the second fortunate play is that instead of he had time, they're on the power play. I mean, this is something where he can maybe curl back around, take a different route, do something. But instead, all he does is he gets a little bit of pressure and then just tries to chip it up the boards where he's got nobody there to help him. It's just Dodson coming in who gets the puck and just hammers a shot. And then the third lucky thing that happens is it just happens to glance off of Silverberg's shin guard and just inside the far post on Mrazek. Uh, I mean, what an odd sequence of goals. Almost every goal that happened this game was just odd. It's just like a lot of things are just like, oh, yeah. all right, well, that happened. But like uh, that sequence between hitting the post, knocking the puck down, Dougie Hamilton not playing it particularly well, where he normally is a steadfast guy, a rookie blasting a shot, hits the guy in front, and just somehow goes in. It's just odd. Just <laughs> That's hockey. <laughs> That's why goalies hate hockey sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, coming from this play and then into the next little bit for the Ducks, they do get a power play, and this is really where they had probably their best sustained pressure uh, of the entire game because Daniel Sprong hits the post that close to being his second goal as a Duck and making it 2 nothing. Uh, he, again, uh, had a good game, I think, this game. Uh, it, it's tough to pick out a good game when most of the Ducks players didn't plays particularly well or if you're looking on paper especially it didn't look too great for them mm-hmm. but I, I think he played another solid game and, and like he was that close to having his second goal and he just seems to create chances every time he gets the puck on his stick which you can't say for too many players right now maybe Andre Kasha is a guy you could say generally does that anytime he's on the ice uh, but it's nice to have another guy in the lineup again a small sample size but that seems to be able to do that on a nightly basis yeah, I mean, um, we've almost got like three guys that can can literally play well on the fourth line, third, second, or first line, and that's between uh, actually four. Well, let's say almost four guys. Now you you got Kasha could do that, Aber can do that. Uh, now Sprong and even Silverberg. I mean, you really want to put Silverberg all the way down the fourth line, but it, those guys can play in there and they can thrive in any situation or any lineup that they're in so it's good to have another versatile player that can hopefully continue to put pucks in the net the fact that not only do you get the look on the top line you got to look on the top power play a couple of times uh and that was kind of the first one where they got that power play just rang it off the post unfortunately but that close 
uh, that that could really change the game. You get that posting in, and we're up two nothing. That's that's a good start. Yeah, and then from here on out for the rest of the the last five or so minutes of this period, it was the John Gibson show because he took over and just started making some ridiculous saves. He uh, ended up robbing Sebastian Ajo, who was alone on the on the right side with a, a kind of a glove save. He kind of just lunges over and gets his body onto it <laughs> and makes a save on that. Uh, Dougie Hamilton had a pretty good shot that uh, John Gibson got a pretty good piece of as well. Uh, I mean, he just made some ridiculous saves. And as uh, the Ducks pointed out on Twitter, some 10 bell saves, which he's done uh, numerous times this year. Only reason that the Ducks come out of this first period one to nothing uh, is an unlucky hitting the post. And then, of course, John Gibson just standing on his head. Yeah, I mean, prior to the maybe the last uh, five minutes of the game, Carolina was up six to five in shots. So, I mean, it, at that point, it was pretty close. They end up getting that power play, and then that power play didn't look great for Carolina the first half of it. The penalty kill actually looked pretty good for the Ducks. But then what ended up happening is Dougie Hamilton did some really nice moves, got open. He had a blast of a shot that Gibby just got a piece of. That kind of created havoc as a puck went behind the net, and Ajo gets left out in front. And um, the one thing Gibby did really, really well is that he did a little push forward and anticipated a, a glove shot. So he kind of raised everything up and got just a piece of it. They call it the cheater, which is the little part that's not really the glove, like your palm, like baseball, you think that's the glove. The goalies have a little cheater here to help protect the wrist. They caught just enough of that to go up and out. So Pat hates the cheater. He thinks that's how goalies are <laughs> cheating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's 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 maybe a little bit too big. But at that point, it, it came in handy for the Ducks, for sure. Yeah, and Chelshock uh, brings up a pretty good point in our Spreaker chat. Uh, he says the only problem he had with Sprong on the top line today was expecting too much. And I, I felt yeah. like a lot of people... Uh, especially after, I mean, again, this this kind of was the same thing that happened with Maxime Comtois uh, scoring in his first game and then just playing well throughout uh, his time before he got injured. <laughs> yeah. and, and with Troy Terry, even before he made it to the Ducks, it's, it's, this generally seems to be a lot of hype around young players in the Ducks organization and almost too much expectations put on them because, you know, I saw some people after the game talking about Daniel Sprong and saying, uh, well, he didn't really follow up his good performance in last game, but... What you can expect him to score on a nightly basis, and and I think we're expecting too much from him because I I think by all means he had a strong game, and and like we mentioned before, he was uh, a couple inches away from having his second goal as a duck anyway. Yeah, and I wonder if that's almost like a Getzloff effect, like oh you got bumped to the first line, all you got to do is just be around. Getzloff will hit you. You just all you got to do is just just put it in the net. What are you doing? How come you can't put it in the net? He just hit you with the pass. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, maybe it's not only the the expectation of, you know, Ducks fans just going, well, Gessoff will set anybody up and you can put anyone there and they should hit it. And if they're not hitting it, it's not Gessoff's fault. It's it's whoever is there. And it's, yeah. it's not as easy. And even as Sprong's goal, I mean, that one, although a good shot, you would you would think Corey Crawford would have wanted to play that one a little bit better. And so even then just having an over expectation of how he was going to perform, uh, you know, just, he's got to settle into everything, but uh, yeah, no, I don't think it was a, a bad second game for a guy uh, who in his first game played more minutes in a game than he had all season with Pittsburgh. So, I mean, this, this guy's getting more minutes. He's getting more looks. He'll get more chances. If he's getting chances, that's all I care about. If he gets chances and they don't quite go in, 
and he does that for a really long time, then I'd start going, okay, he's kind of a bust. But if you're going to go, well, he gets chances, but, you know, two games, he only has one goal. It's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Cut the yeah, and there's, there's plenty of time for him to, for us to even determine if it was a good trade or not. I think we've already kind of talked about this on the last show where it'll take a little bit of, of time to really determine if it was worth it or not. It, you know, I, I feel for this trade, it's either going to be a home run or a bust. I, I don't think it's going to really sit in, in the middle between that. I think he's either an AHL player or he is like a top nine forward consistently because of just the skill set that he has. And it's it's whether he can figure it out or not. And, you know, we're seeing the same thing with Pontus Averg where he's got a, a ton of skill and he can do it occasionally, but consistency is a problem for him. And on the defensive side of the game, he's not maybe the most reliable player. So... That's that's kind of what we're trying to figure out with Daniel Sprong, and we're obviously not at that point yet because uh, I think uh, me included and a lot of us haven't watched a lot of Penguins games this year, so we probably don't know. <laughs> you haven't? It I, that's all I've been doing. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's hard to judge his play there, especially because he was in a different situation. He was playing fourth line minutes there, and it's been two two games so far of him playing top six minutes. He played on the second line in the last game. He played on the first line for about half of this game and then move down to the second line. So uh, we need some more time. I, I think it's a little bit too early to judge what type of player he's going to be. Yeah. And like we were the, talking about the, uh, the, the Aladdin uh, strategy. Uh, um, Bob Murray has that with trades. It, it's kind of like he tries to find the diamond in the rough and he, he hopes he doesn't have to give up too much to get something that ends up working. It works out sometimes. And then sometimes it's Danny Heatley. So it's it's weird, but Auberg has worked out this season, and that's a great find. And you know, you, you hope that uh, Sprong can kind of do it. But yeah, you got to give him that time. You know, uh, he had uh, one. You know, he's had a couple of home games, so he's he's got to figure it out. Give him some time. Yeah, and uh, I mean, if we can quick wrap up, I guess, of the first period. Ducks come out of it up one nothing, outshot thirteen to eight by or thirteen to six by Carolina. Six. Don't give Which, too much credit. Uh, not as bad as the last time they played Carolina. It was a 20-5 uh, last time. Uh, Ducks still somehow came out, again, not trailing in that game as well. Um, yeah. More maybe of a testament of the fact that Carolina literally just shoots the puck from anywhere. And yeah. they get some inflated shot totals. Uh, they did yeah. come out on, on the upper end of, of scoring chances in this game, so it was a better game for them. But uh, I feel like every time I go look at the box score... For that, for the <laughs> Hurricanes, they have 25, 30 shots at the end of the second intermission. So it's yeah. generally a team that puts up a lot of shots on net. Yeah, and and uh, you know, kudos to the Ducks who usually give up a ton of shots against a team that takes a ton of shots. Because uh, for the first 15 minutes, I didn't really mind the game. I thought I thought the Ducks were doing well. We you know we got a shorthanded goal. Uh, we weren't really dominating, but neither was Carolina. And then once that one power play happened where they got like three or four chances and Gibby was once again, 10 bell saves or top level saves is what I would call them. Uh, the Ducks were outshot in the last you know, five or six minutes, seven to one. And that's how they end the, the period being down 13 to six in shots. So it's just, it's, you, you, you kind of, I could kind of see the writing on the wall a little bit. I'm like, all right. Well, hopefully they don't do what they normally do in the second and we can maybe turn this around, but I could just kind of see the old problems starting to resurface a little bit. Yeah, and we kind of see that a little bit, I guess, in the first goal of the game for the Carolina Hurricanes where um, 
this will be a theme, as you've already mentioned, throughout the rest of the night with the goals that are scored. Uh, some weird ones, uh, to weird. say the least, where it's Clark Bishop, uh, who scores his first uh, <laughs> I'm national sorry, uh, hockey who? goal, who? I believe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, exactly. This, is, this yeah. is a trend that Ducks fans know all too well, is a guy getting his first National Hockey League goal against us. Uh, one that he will remember, but also probably not remember, because I think he didn't really realize he scored at first, where he's yeah. kind of just driving the net. And this is a tough one, because yeah. Hampus Lindholm does push him into the net, but he loses his footing, his foot sweeps around, and causes Bishop to fall and take out John Gibson. And ultimately, it was the reason why the puck crosses the line. It's one of those borderline plays. It was called no goal on the ice. Um, I didn't think it was conclusive enough for them to overturn it because Hampus Lindholm is falling, and that's the reason he pushes Bishop into to Gibson. But it was borderline, and I felt like it could go anyway. Obviously, the ref felt like that uh, it was a good goal, that there was no goal or goal. There was goaltender interference, but it was at the result of what Hampus Lindholm did. Yeah, there's a couple things that kind of led into this, and this is something I kind of noticed a couple times in the first period, is Lindholm just seemed to be a little bit off. I even I noted it before we even got into the second period, where he's just, he's just had a couple turnovers where, you know, at that point hadn't cost the Ducks, but he had one where he was inside his own blue line and just passes it and turns it over right in the high slot. And then I think it was, uh, Sir, not Sergeyev, it's Sergeyev or something. Svechnikov? That's the one. And uh, he, uh, he, you know, he he got a great chance and ended up just you know blasting wide. But I noticed that Lindholm just a little off his game. And then in this one, Bishop just kind of outworks him and you know gets in front of him, and that's what kind of leads to the whole problem where Lindholm eventually ends up kind of using his upper body strength, kind of pushes him off balance, and then his both of their legs kind of come out. So initially it was called no goal because the ref thought the net had fallen off before the puck crossed the line. They have to review that. Uh, for our, uh, Toronto said, that, you know, hey, we got to review this. He goes, the puck definitely crossed the line before the net comes off the mooring. So that's why they called it initially a good goal after the first review. At that point, it's up to Randy Carlisle if he wants to go ahead and review goalie interference because Bishop's skate did kick out uh, um, Gibby's uh, pad to prevent him. But I 100% agree with this one, too. The only reason his skate kicked Gibby's pad out of the way is because Lindholm took him down. The whole the whole problem was Lindholm getting beat and then taking him down. Literally gave Gibson no chance to even play the puck because he took that guy out and the guy's going skate. They're both going skate first into Gibson. But, uh, you know, just a, a fluky, weird goal that ends up standing up, and uh, rightfully so, because I, I didn't feel there yeah. was anything that, that should have brought that goal back from being a goal yeah it's not the traditional call where normally it's a player who pushes like with the either a cross check or or some kind of push with the hands and pushes an opposing player into the net it's more so he lost his his balance and lost his footing which still caused bishop to go into the net and again i i I agree with the call in that sense because maybe it's it's not so much hampus lintel's fault because he does fall but it's definitely not bishop's fault yeah and yeah you know, at that he's, point, the, he's the victim in this besides gibson maybe he's the victim yeah. 
So at that point, no matter if if Lindholm Matt, uh, you know pushed him or meant to do that or whatever, it still ends up in the back of the net at no fault of, of Bishop. And, and at that point, you kind of have to call it a goal. Sucks for yeah. the Ducks. Sucks for John Gibson because again, there like you said, there's not much you can do on that play. Um, but the Ducks don't really pick up their play after this because the, it was a kind of a, a uneventful first five minutes, other than that goal. Uh, the only things that really happened for the next five minutes after that were uh, Ryan Kessler got a decent chance on Mrazek in front, um, and that was pretty much it because Carolina just started to take over the game. The Ducks were sloppy on the power play. They were sloppy at five-on-five. Five. Carolina, again, just kept trying to put as many shots as they could on net. Shots were 19-9 to nine at the halfway point of the second period, uh, and then they spent an entire shift hemming the Ducks' fourth line in their own zone, which is tough because it's not the fourth line from last game. Uh, Brian Gibbons replaced yeah. Andre Kasha on that fourth line spot, so it was him and Carter Rowney there down there tonight. Um, not the best-looking fourth line, especially when you get trapped out there against one of the Hurricanes' best lines, which is, again, not something you probably expect to happen when you have the last change. Uh, a, a poor decision by the Ducks coaching staff there to somehow get that fourth line out there against the, one of the Hurricanes' top lines. Um, and, and it just kind of continued down there from there. The, the rest of the Ducks' power plays they had in this game were relatively sloppy. We'll get to the five-on-three at some point, <laughs> yeah. which was the, the pinnacle of everything. But uh, this is really after this where you know, Randy Carlos started to realize the Ducks just couldn't get anything going on offense, and he started line juggling, which is a, a new Classic trait Carlisle. for Randy Carlisle this year. He's <laughs> taken the old Bruce Boudreaux line juggler and uh, made it his own, I guess, and he bumped Pontus Aberg up, or sorry, he bumped uh, Sprong down to the second line with Henrik and Richie and brought up Andre Kasha to the first line with Aberg and Genslaff. They didn't really do anything. Uh, I thought it was a good move. I thought yeah. that's how the, the, the line should have should been, have been started the, the game. Beginning, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it didn't really change anything to, to begin with. And honestly, I felt like the initial setup actually worked better than when he changed it. Yeah. I mean, the second period is kind of the same second period the Ducks uh, usually have. And it's not even just this season that they've had horrible second periods. I mean, this just seems to be um, a virus that won't go away, just keeps reemerging, uh, much like injuries to the ducks. Uh, but it's just like the second period is just, it was a collapse. And like I said, I, I saw a little bit towards the end of the first period where they just kind of started to collapse and then things just weren't clicking the, the power play just, it, you know, it wasn't too horrible in the first when they got their chance, but once they started going, you know, in the second period, it's just like passes weren't there. Uh, and when passes start falling off, that's when I start feeling the ducks are in trouble. When, when easy passes should be made and easy outlets should be made, and they're not, that's a team that's just a little bit out of sync or there's certain players that are out of sync and it's it, it just all starts to kind of fall apart and the wheels kind of come off the wagon a little bit. So I don't blame Carlisle for changing it. The only goal we had at that point was a shorthanded goal and we have just been bleeding shots since then and not really generating much of anything five on five or on the power play when we should try and be dominating a team that's struggling to score goals. So it, it, it's, it sucks, but, I mean, he's, he's got to try to find something to do because nothing else was working at that point. Yeah, and somehow, though, the Ducks came out of the second period <laughs> with a 9-8 to eight shot advantage in that period, which really didn't seem like it. 
Uh, Carolina still had the total shot advantage of 21 to 15. The game was tied at 1-1. Um, it, but it did feel like, despite the Ducks out shooting Carolina, it felt like Carolina probably had the better period. They were starting to take control of the game. Um, the Ducks have notoriously been bad in second periods, but they've actually been pretty decent as of late in third periods. So you kind of had that hope going into the third. You're at home. You you know you're yeah. still tied. Tied in a game it, you yeah. shouldn't be tied in. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was a fluke goal that they got scored on. So the, you know it felt pretty good, but uh, probably the worst start you could ask for going into the third period because it doesn't take long for the Hurricanes to get on the board with another. Uh, weird one that I guess you can blame this one. You can probably blame John Gibson for a little bit because it, it kind of comes <laughs> off the boards to Brett Pesci at the top of the circle. Uh, and Pesci, he just chops Pesci, at it. Like Joe, like Joe Pesci. Yeah. Although yeah, they spell just, it differently. That's weird. Yeah. It's it spelled like, I don't even, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no I in it. Joe Pesci has an I in it somewhere. Anyways. But, yeah. It, it, it gets kind of chipped off the, the right wall by Tarver Teravainen to yeah. Pesci in the middle, who doesn't really shoot it. It's not a wrist shot. It's not a slap shot. It's not even a snap shot. Well, he just a swing, like, shot. golf swings at it. <laughs> and uh, it gets exactly nice, what I called it. <laughs> yeah. And gets it, it, was, nice... it was a Yeah. It, it was a golf swing. And, and you, 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 I, I can watch the, you know, the back view of Gibson where like the, the puck goes up and it literally lands and the guy golf swings at the exact same time. It's almost like, I don't know if you ever see uh, one of those uh, really old school, I'm going to date myself here, Nike commercials where um, Tiger Woods just keeps like balancing a ball on uh, a golf club, keeps bouncing, bounce, bounce it, and then does it really high, then takes it, and then as it's dropping down, just smacks it, perfect timing, just kills it all the way yeah. out. there. So it was the same thing. It just like bounced at the exact same time this guy just timed it. And for a goalie, you don't know where that's going. You're hoping no. you're in the right spot, but the play was a little bit up to his left. The shot goes down to his right. And so now it's just like, it's like, it's coming. I don't know what this guy's, you, you can't even assume a shot is coming in that point. Yeah, you and can't then, even read it, right? Exactly. It, it just comes off his thing. And you're like, you're, all right, I hope I'm in a good position for him. But that wasn't the guy I was even thinking was going to shoot. So at that point, it's another one of those just fluky goals. I wouldn't blame Gibson in the least. He was pretty good in position for the original play. And then he had to wait to see what was going to happen. And the guy just didn't – there was no wait. It was just slapped at him. And he's just like, well, crap. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that just that – went, that went in. I mean, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to guess he's going to shoot low right side off of one-timer out of midair. He had, to, yeah. he had to deal with a third dimension. <laughs> it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to read because, like yeah. you said, you you can't really read where it's gonna come off the stick because it it literally it touches the stick for a second. Uh, it, it's yeah. yeah, and and the puck is is flipping and rolling by the time it gets to Pesci <laughs> as well, and uh, it, it's far enough out, but still kind of close enough that you can't really pick it up either if you're John Gibson, and it just goes into the bottom corner where you really can't do anything about it. You know, if it if it uh, ends up going the other way, it's just going to hit him. It's not going to really matter. But it, somehow Pesci picks a corner off this golf swing in <laughs> uh, the perfect it's spot. So, it's so annoying for goalies. You have no idea. Because that, that play starts over there, and then, like, flutters to him, like, nice and slow. So, so all of a sudden, you have a certain speed and a, a certain odd trajectory already. And then all of a sudden, the guy just takes it from that place to 
instantly, straight direction, down low, quick, no time. Yeah, I mean, your whole timing's off. There's just nothing to really pick up off of the play other than you hope you're in the right position. But at the same time, he's got to think, maybe that dude corrals it, moves, and I got to make sure I'm going to be ready to move to my left. So I'm going to wait and see what happens. And then just as the puck hits, the guy's already releasing a shot. It's just freaky and weird. Yeah, <laughs> there's, but, there's, there's uh, no way to, to, to defend it. You just hope it hits you. It, it doesn't get any better. Uh, it gets weirder <laughs> on the next school yep. for the Hurricanes where um, Justin Williams, presumably still, got a piece mm. of this. But it's it's Calvin DeHaan who gets the puck back in the blue line. And he throws a really high shot on John Gibson. Uh, now, and, was it DeHaan or they, did they say it was um, see, um, yeah. Bishop again? They said it was Clark Bishop. But uh, what a surprise. The Ducks broadcast uh, team was wrong. What? They didn't what pick player they're picking up. Uh, Clark Bishop actually wasn't even involved in the play. The final, the final goal. Was, I skipped through uh, most of the third. I just stopped for the yeah. goal, so that's why I didn't know. <laughs> the final goal was Justin Williams from Calvin DeHaan and Andrei Svechnikov. So Clark Bishop, I don't even know if he was on the ice. Uh, yeah. If he was, he's the third forward on that play, and he was really nowhere involved in the play. But um, I mean, as I said, it was a high shot from Calvin DeHaan that John Gibson doesn't really see after it hits him. Kind of falls yeah. into his equipment. It ends up eventually hitting the ice. And, <laughs> the uh, more explanation you have on just the yeah. shot, instead of a shot goes in, it's more of like, well, the shot went in, but it hit him. It rolled this way. It fell just to the left. This guy comes in, smacks it that way. The more you add on to after the initial shot, the weirder of the play is. But no, it gets it gets even worse because it's, it's a chop from Justin Williams that actually hits off Adam Henrique's stick and goes off of John Gibson's foot and into the very bottom corner. <laughs> On the right side of the net, another weird one. Not again. <laughs> maybe like you try and blame somebody for this, but you know maybe John Gibson should have handled that high shot better. But it's hard to handle those because you're kind of jumping into it, and at that point, if it hits you in the shoulder, it could really go anywhere. Unluckily yeah. for him, it, it bounces straight down onto the ice, and Justin Williams is the first guy to see it. And yeah. even so, he gets the worst piece of it, and it just bounces in off Adam Henrique's stick. It's it's like the three goals that went in on him in this game. What are you, you really? What are you supposed to do on that one? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, far from it for me to judge how John Gibson saw the shot. I don't know if that shot, the initial shot, might have gone over, but the fact he's standing up and almost doing a jump to kind of get to it. Uh, it tells me that it was probably going to go over the bar. But at that point, he's so – and I think he was actually a little bit screened. So he was still up. And then just all you can do is, like, all of a sudden you see it and you go, I didn't get that. You know, if it's close enough, I'm not going to take any chances. So yeah. he does it, gets it in the shoulder on the stick side. Now, if it's the glove side, that's a little bit easier to do this and start to catch. If it's on your blocker side, you hit it, and then you're like, okay – that's a blocking save. So it should go somewhere, hopefully, in front of me. It doesn't. He does the block, and it rolls down his back as he's, he's moving around, trying to identify where it is. Doesn't really find it. It hits the ground. He does a desperation sprawl around. I'm going to try and take down low away. Whatever I can do to, to not let this cross the line down low, make him put it up high. And then, like I said, goes there. Henrik and Justin Williams at the same time see where the puck is going. They both go for it. Uh, Henrik gets a stick there first, but then Justin Williams, I guess, gives him a slash that propels the puck 
off of Gibby's falling leg. <laughs> like even the propels, you know, where it, the puck would It doesn't get gone. less weird the more know, you explain like, it. That puck, if Gibson's leg isn't there, that puck, it's not directed at the net. It's not directed anywhere else except away from the net. Unfortunately, the way Gibby has fallen, the exact moment that puck gets hit, hits the leg, somehow slides underneath him, just barely inside of the post and never even really hits the back of the net. It's just stupid. <laughs> As I a goalie, you're just like annoyed that, that all those things went wrong in a row. <laughs> I, I guess this is how you score goals uh, when you're a team who literally yes. throws everything you can <laughs> on net. Uh, these are the types of goals that are going to go in. I'm sure for Hurricanes fans, this might not be a surprise seeing these types of goals go in uh, when that's literally your game plan is to do that. Uh, but the Ducks were not without their chances to get back in in this game. They had that five-on-three power play that we mentioned for about a minute 20, uh, and it didn't feel like that because they literally, I they don't remember them getting a significant scoring chance whatsoever on that five-on-three, which is ridiculous. Uh, you know, maybe a, f- a five on four because of how bad the Ducks power plays have been this year. You're like, ah, eh, whatever. If they don't get a, a chance in a five on four, it sucks, but we're used to it. But a five on three, you're down by two goals. You're already getting outplayed. Uh, you know, after the five on three, they were getting outshot 14 to four in the third period. So there really was no fight. But no. you got to capitalize on it and at least make Mrazic work. But they didn't even make the, the Hurricanes penalty kill sweat. No, no. Like I said, the the only dangerous thing that seemed to be out there from a Ducks perspective was their penalty kill. They outworked the other power play on a couple of different penalty kills. Uh, Other than that, um, with the exception of maybe the first half of the very first power play we have, that the Ducks were non-existent. Uh, You know, I was more I was more worried about a shorthanded goal than I was optimistic a power play goal might happen. And five on five, once again, it just it wasn't there. The compete level wasn't there. It's something we've seen for a while. We're just used to Gibby bailing us out. And in all respects, Gibby did everything he could have done, with the exception of just three fluky goals that just happened to go in. At some point, that's going to that's gonna happen. Uh, but it's just, it's it's bad when, you know, you, you, you go in a power play and you go like, crap, how are we going to screw this up? And especially if you go to five on three and you yeah. go like, well... Who knows? You know, it could be anything. But it just felt like almost that, that karma where the Ducks should have lost against Carolina, and now they 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 kind of got it back a little bit just through weird plays. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that pretty much sums it up for the rest of the third period other than Sebastian Ajo getting the empty net goal to make it 4-1. to Fantasy one. player. Yeah, so it it, the, the slight bonuses you get from your your favorite team losing is the fact yeah. you had Sebastian Ajo in fantasy. But uh, Getzlaff fights Justin Falk at the end, sort of fights him. Did you? Yeah, yeah did you, you didn't put quotation marks up there, so yeah, yeah I uh, tell. it was it was fight? implied. Yeah, he uh, they, they took him a while to get into a fight, and then they yeah. were just kind of talking, and then Getzel had his gloves off, and I guess Falk was like, sure. Why not? Sure, I guess. And then, like, they thought they were dozy do for a while, and then Getzloff tried an uppercut real quick, and then Falk did one real quick punch, and then it's like, I'm going to fall now. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah I, the, I, ducks led, the Ducks like turtles. They, they are fighting turtles, like, every every game on that last road trip and uh, since we've been home. <laughs> Getzloff got pretty close with that uppercut. If that had a land, uh, that would have been, uh, that been for you. devastating hit. Yeah, then it would have been worth. Then what? I guess you could have called it a fight if he actually yeah. 
landed that uppercut. He came pretty close, anyone, but uh, Richie lost his damn game. mind too. Yeah, well, that's no surprise. Uh, yeah, that was, he's, he's kept it semi in check, but yeah, he lost his mind. Yeah. I think he was, but they've been he winning ball. since he pretty much came back, and now yeah. uh, this is that one is of the worst games. Yeah, yeah. so it was a stinker was all the way around. Yeah, yeah, everybody was frustrated. Ducks lose this game four to one. Uh, get out shot thirty-four to twenty-eight, which seems relatively close for yeah. what the game uh, really felt like. And I guess when you look at scoring chances. Uh, really was. I mean, the Ducks, five on five, they had four high-dangerous chances for in the entire game. Carolina had 18, so that kind of tells you how that went uh, on the scoring chances front. Uh, regular scoring chances, Carolina had 34. Ducks had 16, so more than double. Uh, shots for at five on five, Ducks had 12. Carolina had 28. So... Five on five was not a great adventure for the Ducks. Never really is. You're also going against, again, one of the best possession teams and one of the best teams five on five for shot attempts in the entire National Hockey League. So that's kind of expected. But, man, I mean, the the real one that stands out for me is the high danger chances. 18 to four at five on five. The Ducks could not literally generate anything at five on five. And when it mattered in the third period especially after you went down two goals early, they didn't do anything. The third period, it was 14 scoring chances against to two. They had two scoring chances for in the third period. Yeah, and if you want to say, you know, well, you know, we got beat by, you know, just unlucky goals. Uh, let's take a step back. They should have been beat by great goals that Gibson bailed them out on. I mean, so as much as uh, either want to say, ah, there was just, you know, weird they went in uh, gibson bought bought a whole lot of karma leading up to the goals that ended up going in there wasn't any way in my opinion they should have been ahead after the first they shouldn't have been tied after the second they kind of got where they were in the third uh by the end of the game but i mean it, it's just it's the same same mo that we're seeing and it just depends how lucky they get at scoring goals and how lucky, I won't say lucky, but how great John Gibson or Ryan Miller end up having to play to bail this team out. Because that's, it's still it. Even when they win, uh, they, they, they don't win convincingly. And when they lose, it's kind of like, yeah, they look exactly the same as the game before, but just a little crappier. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we'll get into the post-game stuff here because I don't want to dwell on this game too much. I think it, it, uh, everyone's, it's, it's Friday. we got the weekend yeah. coming up. We want to have you feeling good. It's Friday. <laughs> it's early for even you guys. I mean, it's late for you guys. So yeah, it's late early for, for everybody <laughs> right now. Um, I guess some of the news we can get into is maybe a little more of a dive into Ricard Raquel and his injury. Um, still a lot of question marks surrounding that and, and what's really going on. And we uh, we know it's an ankle. That's the most we know. The severity, again, they're using the, the term tweak, so that feels like it's not that bad. Um, the question remains, is he going to be ready for Sunday? Um, that's the big thing. No real answers for that yet. I'm sure we'll get them tomorrow when the Ducks practice, and we'll see. Uh, if he's ready to go or not, if he's skating on any lines. Same goes for Sunday uh, when they practice as well, if there's going to be any update on him there. So I guess it's kind of a wait and see. Uh, but the Ducks, is, is 
not like Ricard Raquel has played great, uh, but they still need him in the lineup. Uh, they could not generate anything tonight offensively. And when you have a threat like Ricard Raquel in the lineup, no matter how inconsistent he's played this year, uh, that definitely helps out. And it's been, it was a kind of a tough loss not having him there. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, you know, when they use the word tweak, I mean, I've tweaked my knee, I've strained my knee, and I've sprained my knee. It's not an ankle, obviously, is what he's going through, or at least what it seems like. Um, so I, I know the difference in the verbiage is much different, and I don't think they come out and say tweak unless the doctor or uh, Ricard says that. So, I mean, if you say the word tweak, I've tweaked something, and I've been back a day later, two days later. I strained something. I'm looking more like a week to get back. I sprained something. It's it's two to four, two to six weeks. It just depends how bad that sprain becomes. But when you say the word tweak, I got to be a little bit optimistic that it's sooner rather than later. You know, after this game, he gets a rest maybe tomorrow. He gets some rest coming up down the lineup. But right now, we're sitting in a good enough spot that you don't have to necessarily rush him out. And maybe it's a good thing to maybe just let him watch the game a little bit to kind of figure out, you know, how how everything goes. Sometimes that break away from a game and just see it from a different perspective is so much more valuable for a player to get back in there and then all of a sudden, like, it's like Solani always says, the ketchup bottle. You know, you're stuck, you're yeah. stuck, you're stuck, and then all of a sudden you slam it one time and everything comes out and you just get him in bunches. So, uh, you know, he's, he's too talented not to be able to produce at this point. So maybe a step back might be good for a couple of games. But we'll see. We need him back sooner rather than later. Yeah, the, the crazy thing that they said and they mentioned on the broadcast is Ricardo Raquel, I think they said, was one of three players who had played every single game so yeah. far this year. The other two that I remember were Andrew Cogliano and Brandon Montour. I'm not sure if Ricardo Raquel was the third or if he was one of four. But Over the I last know for two years? Or three no, years? just this season. Just, this, okay. just this season, which makes it even more ridiculous that only two yeah. players other than Ricardo Raquel have not missed a game this year. And you yeah. look at some of the big names that are not only still out of the lineup, but that have missed significant time. Cam Fowler's still out. Corey Perry's mm. still out. Getzlaff has missed time. Hampus Lindholm Lindholm's has missed time missed recently. Time. Twice he's missed time. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's been a tough year. I, I think Adam Henrique was the other one. Was the other one they mentioned. What so about those Kessler? Were, Did he miss Kessler's any games? missed time. Yeah. So uh, the did he miss it three, early? I think it was early. Yeah, I believe oh, okay. he, he was out until... The first month of the season, I believe. He came back. Uh, okay. he, he didn't start the season with the Ducks. So the only guys remember. who haven't missed time were Montour, Coglano, of course, because Coglano mm. never misses time unless he's getting suspensions. And, yeah, because uh, he's a dirty player. We all know that. Yeah, and, and Adam Henrique. So uh, it's been a tough go with injuries for the Ducks. We all hope Ricard Raquel is back on Sunday against the New Jersey Devils, where it's essentially a family reunion for a lot of Ducks players, where Brian <laughs> Gibbons and Adam Henrique are back and, and facing their former team. Sammy Vaughn and Stefan Nason will be back on the other side facing Paul their Mary. former team. And I'm Paul Mary as well. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, Patch Maroon used to be there, not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so there's that. a lot of... Uh, a lot of former Ducks and former Devils on, on opposite ends. But yeah. one thing I want to get into, because me and Pat didn't get into this on the last show. We didn't have enough time, uh, but we do this time, is the news about the new Seattle team and the, that's coming in 2021-2022. Uh, I guess we'll start off with just the news in general that 
the Ducks will be welcoming a new team to the Pacific Division, and Seattle will be joining them in there. Uh, but they'll also be losing a new uh, a team as well, as the Arizona Coyotes will be making way and moving over to the Central Division. Um, simple question, I guess, is, is what is your take on Seattle as a whole and them getting a franchise? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, they, I mean, they had one, uh, originally way back when, so it's, it's kind of their second NHL franchise, but not, I think the last time they played was in the seventies, I'm guessing. I think, I think it was even farther back than that. The sixties were like, no, like early 1900s. Like, uh, they won the cup in like 1930 something, I think. Uh, okay. Well, they have a winning tradition already, so they should already be back. I'm, I'm more fascinated by, uh, the whatever team name they come up with for Seattle, because yeah. that seems to be the biggest thing everyone wants to know about. Um, you, you knew it was happening at some point. There was going to be a thirty. You know, you had to even out everything. So, uh, you know, when they did the their, you know, re was it redistribution or realigning of the conferences, and you left sixteen on one side and fourteen on the other, that just screams, okay, we're going to add two more teams at some point. So here we go. Uh, you know, Vegas uh, obviously just uh, blew everyone out of the water. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if Seattle does the same thing. I don't think GMs are going to make the same problems as they uh, created for themselves, uh, certain ones, <laughs> bummer, uh, when uh, Seattle comes around. So Seattle's going to benefit. Vegas does not have to give up any of their players, uh, which is a nice little boost for them because they're they, they need all that help. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm fine with it. I mean, I knew it was going to happen, you know, this way. It's kind of almost sad that Arizona slash Phoenix is going because they've always been part of the Pacific Division, uh, you know, and a Ducks rival since they, they came in. The Ducks won their very first playoff series against them in 97. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it's interesting, I guess, that Phoenix goes or I'm sorry, Arizona goes to the Central and like the more you know, Eastern teams in Canada, like Edmonton, or, you know, they don't go to the central, they stay. So that's, yeah, I I think the reasoning behind that, and I guess sort of what rivalries. Yeah. Gary Bettman tries to to (laughs) justify by saying that Arizona draws better against central division teams. I feel like probably most Pacific division teams draw better against central division teams because you're looking at the likes of Chicago Blackhawks over there, which definitely inflates the numbers, and some very good teams and the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche, St. Louis Blues, Nashville Predators. Uh, very good teams in the Central Division, so I'm sure a lot of the teams draw better against the Central uh, compared to the Pacific. But, yeah, I mean, Arizona is the only one that made sense. Uh, you've yeah. got three rivalries down in, in California with the Sharks, Kings, and Ducks. You've got a rivalry between the Oilers and the Flames that you're never going to split up. Uh, you've now got a rivalry between Vancouver and Seattle that you're hoping is going to be very good. Uh, Vegas, again, they don't really have a rival yet. Maybe they will down the road. Maybe they'll be a part of that bunch with uh, with the the California teams. Uh, I I think the hope was that they were going to be a rival with Arizona Coyotes, but that didn't really work out. And uh, and now there's the, the, the most likely option, the one that makes sense, is moving Arizona over there. But yeah, as for Seattle, <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be interesting because the Ducks are going to be maybe not in as bad a spot as they were before, where you had some ridiculous contracts that you, you and some guys didn't want to waive Kevin Bieksa, yeah. and yeah. you ended up losing Shea Theodore. The Ducks won't be in that position because I think 
as Cap Friendly put out, and this is kind of going off what they said, is that at the time of the 2021 expansion draft, the Ducks will no longer have to protect Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry because their contracts will be up. Uh, if they haven't resigned at any point, will be up at the end of that season. And actually, Ryan Kessler's Kessler, you know, yeah. plus ends before yeah. that expansion draft. So those are three guys they don't have to protect, which is important because a lot of the rookies that they use this year will be eligible for that expansion draft and be able to be picked up in Maxime Comtois, Sam Steele, uh, Isaac Linderstrom, and Max Jones. I believe all four of them are eligible to be uh, be picked up yeah. by Seattle which are going to be important guys you're going to want to protect. So that that's a big thing for the Ducks, that those guys uh, in Getzlaff, Perry, and Kessler, you don't have to protect them if you don't want to. So be interesting what they do with that and, and what kind of route they take. It won't be the same as the one in Vegas. No, absolutely not. Yeah, we were a little handcuffed as it was for uh, those, those bigger name ones that we maybe would have loved for them to take. Uh, but yeah, yeah. You know, once we get down to that point, you know, we don't know exactly how all these players are going to start playing, you know, the rest of the way. But it, it kind of almost seems, unfortunately, as much as I love him, I love the old him, uh, Kessler, the writing's kind of on the wall with where his production's going to be. I don't think it's going to go much further than that. Perry, unless, you know, that surgery on his knee somehow makes him a better skater. I don't see that happening. And I don't see in three years him being all that much better. Getzloff, he, he could. I mean, he's, he's still proving it. Proved it last year. Proved it this year. He's still a valuable player. You know, if it not for the goaltending we have, he's the MVP of the team. So, uh, you know, I, I think that he'd be one that we kind of keep and want to hold on to, even if, you know, it's three or four years down the road. Uh, but there was other two. I mean, and then we don't have to worry about a BXA. And uh, we're a little bit smarter on how we're going to approach maybe an expansion draft you think they're a little bit more wise to the fact of uh, what's going to go on. So uh, I don't think Seattle's going to have anywhere near the success of Vegas. But then again, I didn't think Vegas would ever have the success they ever got. Yeah. So it's it's kind of, you know, you'd say, like, eh, that makes sense, but it could happen at the same time. I, I don't know. I'm kind of sad uh, Arizona went. It's kind of like that, 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 I don't want to say stepchild. I don't know. It's that that one, <laughs> that one, that one friend that you're not really friends with, but he's kind of in your group and like he's a little brother of one of your best friends. So you kind of keep him around. You talk to him for a while, but then all of a sudden he goes off and just has to go hang out with his new friends. You're like, I kind of miss that guy. Oh well, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's the way I feel about it. It's like oh, kinda a little bit. Yeah. To see him go, but at the same time, it'll be interesting to see a brand new team and see how that all folds out once we get into. Jesus, 2021, 20, 22. Yeah. I don't even like thinking that far ahead. It's, like it's, it's funny years. because uh, <laughs> I felt a little bit of animosity watching that press conference between the Seattle ownership group and Gary Batman because the idea was that Seattle was going to be ready to go for the 2020, 2021 season. Mm -hmm. And they had printed off a lot of memorabilia and a lot of business cards that yeah. say Seattle 2020. They had a flag flying that said Seattle 2020 on it. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> I think it makes sense. And I honestly think based off what they said, if all of it's true, that going in 2021 makes more sense to make sure that the arena is fully ready um, and that they aren't rushing into it and that they can get everything going. But it's just funny that they, they had all that ready uh, and they dodged questions on the most important thing that you said that everybody's looking forward to in the name 
Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, just the <laughs> just the memes that have come out of it have been great. Um, <laughs> kind of well worth it. <laughs> yeah, but the a report that this came out way back in January, where the Seattle Arena Group they registered 13 possible NHL expansion names. So likely it's going to come from these 13 here. So it's either could be the Seattle Cougars, Seattle Eagles, Seattle Emeralds, Emeralds, Evergreens, Firebirds, Kraken, Rainers, Renegades, <laughs> Sea Lions, Seals, Sockeyes, Totems, and Whales. Um, some very interesting ones. Some of them make sense. Some of them uh, I really don't get. Uh, the one that kind of <laughs> stands out for me uh, that's... I think is likely because of another report where a member of the Seattle ownership group uh, tweet or in an email stated how excited he was about the rivalry, the upcoming rivalry between the Vancouver Canucks and the Seattle totems is what he put in his email. Uh, Seattle totems, I believe used to be a junior team in Seattle back in the day. Uh, I wouldn't hate it. I don't think it's the uh, best one. I, I would hate it. That's the There are some one. worse ones. I mean, the Seattle Sockeyes yeah. is, is one that I'm not a huge fan of. The Seattle Whales, uh, I don't think, you know, I think that should what be. What if they Seattle were Whalers? Or, Seattle Whalers? Yeah. yeah. Seattle no. Kraken is just. Kraken, this is funny. <laughs> yeah. But no, I would fear it would be, I, I don't know, I, it might be Sea Lions. I mean, they have Seattle Seahawks. And so Sea Lion, maybe there's a connection somewhere in there. They shorten it up just to Seals. Um, and it, even then, the Emeralds or even the, the Evergreens, I don't know. No, nah, I don't think Washington is that much of a like a, a hippie state where they're all go green and super liberal. Maybe they are. I don't know. I don't go there. My brother lives there, and I don't go there. But, uh, yeah, no, so I, I let's see. If I had a guess... I don't know. Uh, if I had a guess, I would say Emeralds. It's yeah. kind of a unique name, and it's not it's not one that's easily made fun of, <laughs> I guess. What I'm glad they're doing, though, is they are waiting for, A, the arena to be made, and I don't think they want to have the same fiasco they had when they tried to reveal the name of the Las Vegas Knights, where, I don't remember if you saw that, where everything just went to crap. They couldn't get the video up for, like, 30 minutes, and yeah. they had to stall for a while, and then it was like, they were dropping like I don't know, like season tickets or money or something from balloons, and people were confused what the hell was going on. Me and my wife Marie were watching that. Marie just doesn't care that much about hockey. She goes, "Oh my god, this is a total cluster, <laughs> cluster F." So yeah, uh, it was it's, just uh... it, it, was, it was so bad, and I was just like, "Wow." How are they happy about this? And then, like, some of the money came out, or whatever it was. I can't even remember what it was, or maybe tickets. And he just, like, throws them out. Like, That's good. You should keep that. Like it's, like, it's like pimping everything that was going on. And I was just, they got to do better than that. That was so bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's exciting. I think it'll be finally great to just have eight even, or sorry, four even conferences with mm -hmm. eight teams in each. That will just be nice to have some sort of symmetry there and actually have a, a system that makes sense. Uh, I I'm interested to see how Seattle does. They they pack. They've always packed football stadiums. They pack soccer oh in a football stadium. They their baseball team. I don't know if they do too well. The Mariners have sucked as of late. Uh, football team was pretty good. Now they're kind of wishy washy. They have no basketball team, but they're talking about it. 
and now they have a hockey yeah. team. And so it's something for the city to gather up. They will not have a problem selling out no. either. And I think but going say, into it and having a rival right off the bat definitely helps too. Yeah. yeah, an intercontinental rival too. Yeah. Stupid Canadians. Uh, Let's, because now we actually pushed this <laughs> definitely a lot longer than I thought. But let's oh, uh, let's oh, move sorry. into the last couple questions we have here with some fan questions. We have two from from Sarah. Uh, she asked on Instagram, "What are our thoughts on Jakob Larson? Do you think he's actually NHL ready, or just a better option than Suster and Shen?" Yes, to both. Um, I, I think he is NHL ready and he's definitely better than both of those other two options. The other thing that I've noticed too is that Manson and him have uh, pretty good chemistry. Manson seemed to struggle a lot early on. I think uh, there was uh, it was a little bit of a, a force to have him with anybody other than Lindholm. And so uh, you didn't really see Josh Manson doing Josh Manson things. Once it got paired with uh, Larson, uh, they, they seem to kind of click a lot better. And that alone, if you can help out, you know, and have that chemistry, one, you know, two defensemen together and have a chemistry together where things click, it makes things a lot better on defense. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens when Fowler comes back and kind of go, goes into the fold there. Uh, but not only him, but also Mahura's, um, you know, ascension, or at least in the couple of games that he ended up playing, were the reason, in my opinion, that Pedersen became the odd man out and was uh, definitely uh, tradable at that point for hopefully some some other offense. So I, I think they're investing more in Larson being the guy who's going to show up and uh, be that, you know, cog in the wheel as needed. So I think they have more faith in him than they did in Pedersen. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's 100% ready because he's still making some of those mistakes and and. Maybe not so much lately, but there was a lot of puck watching going on and, and a few plays and, and just some poor decisions. He made a really bad change one time, and then there was another time where the Ducks just made a bad change. He came off the bench and just did not hustle to get back and help out and it led to a goal. And there's been a couple plays like that where you kind of look at that and say, hey, maybe he's not ready. But I, on the flip side, I, I definitely think he's a better option than Schuster or Shen <laughs> at this point. And, yeah. it's, you know, he's going to have his mistakes and he's going to struggle, but no matter what, I think he's still a better option than those guys. And the Ducks need some help on the left side right now, especially after dealing Marcus Pedersen and having to deal with Cam Fowler being out of the lineup. They're going to utilize the fact that they have Jacob Larson, and he's the best option right now that they can have on the left side. And then obviously Josh Maher as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that question kind of gets split. Is is Yeah, I think he's probably NHL ready. Uh does he have room for improvement? Definitely, but he is a better option, I think, than both of those guys. Um, her next question was on Twitter, so switching it up. Uh, she asked, when Perry is given the okay to come back into the lineup, where do you see him fitting in? And should he jump in immediately, or do you think you should take the rest of the season off to rehab? Damn. Um I don't know because I don't know what goes through Randy Carlisle's head a lot of the times. And I don't know what Bob Murray is trying to get out of Perry at this point either. And I almost feel like it's not puppet puppet master, but it's kind of like, Hey, you know, Randy, listen to me. You need to kind of do it this way. I'll let you make that final choice, but this is what I see should be working and then Carlisle is just going to kind of do whatever he feels ends up working within a game. So at that point, 
I guess if he comes back and they're confident enough, I think they probably try and give him more top minutes. I mean, I don't think they're going to rush him in unless the Ducks are... I don't even think if the Ducks are tanking, they're really going to rush him in. They're going to put him through quite a few practices, make sure he's good to go, exactly evaluate where he's at. And based on what they see and what they know about him, if if he... I think the only way he's possibly successful is if he's on the top line. I don't think he will be. I don't think he's going to be the guy that's, uh, you know, the guy we, we were used to seeing as far as a couple of years ago, Corey Perry. So I, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of great spots for him or a lot of things available. But I don't think it's someone you also put on the fourth line without insulting the dude. So he'll find somewhere in the top three, and it just depends who he finds chemistry with. Um He's not a bad option to be a third-line player. If it ends up working out that way, it's not ideal for him. But it all kind of depends on how he recovers from knee surgery at, what is he, 33 years of age? So yeah, it's, there's not exactly a whole lot of uh, up-looking, uh, you know, uh, upwards-looking. But hopefully he, you know, it could be wrong. Sometimes that breakaway ends up happening for you. Yeah, I think at that point you you have to kind of guess who's going to be around because there's a good chance that Jakob Silverberg might not be a duck at that point, no matter how the ducks are doing, because you know Bob Murray's not going to want to lose him for nothing. nothing yeah. So if that's the case and and Silverberg isn't there, uh, there is a hole that opens up for Corey Perry to jump into the lineup, and you know we have no idea at that point. That's a very long time down the road and, and yeah. how Daniel Sprong's going to be doing, how Pontus Aberg's going to be doing, if Pontus Aberg is even there, because the Ducks could definitely decide to sell on him and sell high as well and uh, move on from him and Silverberg. That all depends on where, what they're doing. So I think to look at where Corey Perry is going to be in the lineup, uh, there's too many variables, variables that go into yeah. it. Um, you would have to think, that for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, that he would go into the top six just because of, of his pedigree and just the name in general. And why would you, you know, play a guy like that uh, in the bottom six when you're not really going to get much out of him? Um, the thing I'm worried about and what I wasn't really ever worried about until the whole Ryan Kessler stuff went down is the Ducks rushing him back for no reason. They did that with Ryan Kessler. They rushed him back because they felt like they needed him in the lineup he clearly wasn't ready. Everybody knew it. They still continued to play him when the guy was missing practices and they still wanted to play him. And and I'm sure Ryan Kessler was somewhat involved in that as well as a guy pressuring to play. But that's what worries me about Corey Perry is, is they might say he's 100%, but if he's not, there, there's no reason he should come back. If he's not ready in March, no matter where the Ducks are, if they're in a playoff spot, if they're fighting for a playoff spot, if they're miles out of the playoffs... If he's not 100% ready to come back, there's no reason he should come back. And if that means missing the rest of the season, taking the summer off to rehab and coming back at full strength at the beginning of next season, then do it. I I don't see what's the point of bringing in a 50% or 75% Corey Perry when you maybe will be able to get him at whatever 100% of the new Corey Perry is going to be. And that's just for his health in general. I mean, the guy, when we saw him last, at FanFest, he was wearing a, he could barely move his leg. He's wearing an immobilizer. He's getting so why is he going to FanFest? He's getting swarmed still. He's getting swarmed by by crazy people. But uh, if it's better for his health, then keep him out for the rest of the year and 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 let him come back in the beginning of next year. Uh, there's no reason to rush him back, no matter where the Ducks are, where they're in a playoff spot. 
Yeah, rushing him back at this point. Uh, there's there's so much downside and very, very little upside to doing that. Um, like I said, I mean, trying to jump it. I think like it was projected like March or sometime. And the, yeah. the season ends in like April. I mean, you're going to have a guy who's missed the entire, you know, uh, what, that 80, 85% of the entire season. Oh, jump him in now. See how he does after coming off a surgery. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to do anyways, but you know, if he's, if he's good enough to play and he looks close enough to hundred, uh, you know, give him, give him the shot if he, if he wants to, but you, yeah, it's just a guy you got to keep an eye on at this point. Yeah. Uh, but that pretty much wraps it up for this show. Uh, we will be back on Sunday in some capacity. We will be having a show <laughs> yes. uh, for the game. I won't against... be there. I have a hockey game, but Pat, Pat yeah. will be back. So it'll be for the game against New Jersey, which is a 5 p.m. Pacific start, which is a ran very random 8 p.m. start for me um, on a Sunday. The Sunday games are always weird times. Um, yeah, but we already well, mentioned uh, yeah, it will be uh, an interesting matchup with the former players on each team. Real uh, quick, though, did you just look up that schedule on, like, a little pocket thing from... The yeah, house? I got the pocket <laughs> schedule from... Uh, I took it from you the You tried to, like, slyly time. put it on there, man, but I could totally see you looking at it. Oh, I bring it out every time. I got to check. Oh, do you? <laughs> oh, where'd well, you get that? Did you I, get that at FanFest? Yeah, no, I got it from the from the game. Korea, from the Korea, Korea game? game yeah. yeah, but <laughs> what's worse, bringing this up and having this up or messing up the who they're playing and then getting grilled for it later? Yeah, both, getting... They both suck. And and yeah. quite honestly, you almost got away with it until I pulled it out, so I'm kind of a dick. Sorry. It's all right. It's all right. So <laughs> New Jersey Sunday, Dallas yeah. Wednesday, and then the Ducks go on a five-game road trip. Six-game road trip, sorry. That takes some past Christmas. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, but like, I, like we said, we'll be back for Sunday. If you haven't, you're listening to this on Spreaker or iTunes or wherever right now. If you haven't checked out YouTube, Head over there, subscribe. If you're listening to this and it is still December 8th or 9th, <laughs> uh, head over to YouTube and subscribe because we are doing a giveaway for a signed uh, podcast. It's, from... it's December 7th still. Well, for you, it's December 7th. Yeah. But we are we are giving away a signed puck to our YouTube subscribers. It's signed by Ryan Miller, Nick <sighs> Ritchie, and Sam Steele. Um, mm -hmm. So if you haven't done that, get in that as quick as possible. We're going to be drawing that within the next couple of days. And if you if you're too late and you're listening to this way later down the road, <laughs> still still go over and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, it, it we're posting a lot of videos down there now, not just the post game shows. We're, we post a lot of interviews up there. We're posting some new reaction videos. We did that for the trade uh, for Marcus Pedersen and Daniel Sprong. So we're doing a lot over there. So make sure you go subscribe. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We do the Forever Mighty Three Stars on Twitter, which is a free chance for you to win a jersey from Cool Hockey. So if you're not getting involved in that, again, that's something that we do 45 minutes before puck drop every night. And all you got to do is make three predictions about the game. You're going to be watching it anyway. So yeah. might as well make some predictions about it. It's Who knows? not like, I, yeah. If you I like drafting, you get a, you get this, is, this is free. And you just got to make some <laughs> predictions. I'm sure a lot of you do the Ducks first goal predictions. This is the same thing, but you got a chance to win a jersey, and I'm sure you have a better chance of winning this than you do winning theirs. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing too is it's just like you, you guess three times, and then at that point, it's pretty much uh, 
you have uh, uh, so you get like an opportunity for like three, maybe four points at every game, and there's like 15 games or whatever in a month, and so there's a the potential for all that. But the winners usually like have 12 points or like 14 yeah. points at the end. So you don't, you don't have to be awesome at it. You just have to get enough right to win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So make sure you guys check that out. Hit us up on iTunes. And uh, we'll be back on Sunday for New Jersey with uh, me and Pat. So have a good night, guys. Bye, guys. Thanks for ruining my show, by the way. That's it. I'm sorry you guys had to sit through that. But this is an obligation, contract obligation, they told me. So um, my kneecaps are sweating and I really got to go to the bathroom. So um, I'm going to have to let you guys go. Thank you. Bye.